This morning, as we gather, let's begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in you, your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So Jim gave me permission if I stand back to preach without my mask on so that I don't have to talk through that while I'm doing this. Uh, and another couple of things, I came and recorded uh, this service, the same one that'll be online today. And it was so hot in here. We were gonna have the windows open this morning, but I think Alan was right, close the windows because you guys were gonna pass out. It was so hot. I had to roll up my sleeves. And if you can see it, see that black and blue mark? You know what that's from? That's a blood draw for an antibody test. So all these things, brave new world that we're living in. The sermon series I've been doing online, I hope, has been in some ways helpful to people as they try and face all the unknowns of what's going on. We've been calling it the bright golden line, Bible verses that really are sort of hopefully things that we can focus on that help us understand how to get through it. So if you guys haven't heard this, and I know a lot of people weren't online, so let me explain. The bright golden line is, it comes from AA. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, what they talk about the bright golden line is that if you're driving down the highway at night and it's dark and it's foggy, where do you look to make sure you don't ride off the road? The bright golden line, right? The edge of the highway and you keep your eyes on that to tell you how to go through it. So that's what we've been doing. Just Bible passages that are there to help us with a clear message that say what we're supposed to hold on to in the midst of the unknown and all the new stuff we're dealing with. We're going to continue with that in the weeks ahead as we deal with this kind of stuff going on. This morning I'm going to read one from 2 Corinthians. Uh, to get a context for this, it's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10. And again, you're just going to have to listen to it because most of you don't have few Bibles. But understand this is the Apostle Paul. He's the one writing this. And he's going to quote almost immediately, and I'll show you the quotes. But he's going to quote God almost immediately. So Paul says, God said to me, here's the quote, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. End quote. And then Paul goes on to say, So I will boast the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamity for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The bright golden line in there, kind of the, the thing that you would hang on your fridge, would be this, when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you understand what Paul is saying there about his mixing up the idea of weakness and strength? Because I really thought about this and I've realized that we have a vernacular when we talk about weakness and strength. We have ways of thinking about going from weakness to strength. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying. So here's an example. I went on Pinterest 
one of those websites where you can get all kinds of craft ideas and people show you these plaques they hang on their walls and you know a lot of people do that with bright golden line bible passages they write out their favorite passage and they make a thing and they hang it on their wall so here's a few other ones here's some other things people have kind of taken the words weakness and strength and made into sort of a plaque okay strong minds discuss ideas average minds discuss events weak minds discuss people that makes sense let me read it again strong minds discuss ideas average minds discuss events weak minds discuss people okay here's another one becoming strong doesn't start in the gym it starts in the head Here's another one. Fear is weak against me. It has no real power. I switch fear for boldness, right? Again, the idea of there's a weakness, trying to overcome it with some sort of boldness. And then here's one that uh, actually gets spiritual, okay? It says, give God your weakness. He'll give you his strength. That's what I want you to think about for a second. Give God your weakness. He'll give you your strength. Do you know where that comes from in the Bible? It comes from the book of cliché. You ever heard of the book of cliché? It's not actually in the Bible. Uh, the book of cliché is when all these sort of phrases that people use so often, uh, the ones that they kind of think are in the Bible, turns out they're not actually in the Bible. So you've heard the one that goes, uh, if God closes a door, he'll open a window, right? Book of cliché. It's not in the Bible, but uh, people say it, and they think that's what's in the Bible. And so that's another one. Give God your weakness. He'll give you your strength. And this is the thing I want to point out about these things I got from Pinterest this morning and compare it to Paul. Just to be clear, this bright golden line is not saying that. This idea that we have to give up our weakness or we have to stop being weak to become strong, right? That there's something wrong with us and then we become something better. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul says it, let me read it again, whenever I am weak, I am strong. Do you hear the difference? Paul is not saying I need to get better than my weakness. He is saying my weakness is my strength. They are two very different things. To understand it maybe a little more carefully, let me give you the context of it, okay? So in 2 Corinthians, this is a letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And, of course, we already have another letter called 1 Corinthians. But somehow, between the two books or the two letters that Paul writes to this church, we get the sense that there has been a significant amount of conflict that has risen up between Paul and Corinth. The whole second letter of Corinthians, think of 1 Corinthians. Think of if you've gone to a wedding. And it says, love is patient, love is kind. Remember that? that? That's 1 Corinthians. That's when Paul is in love with Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, we get the sense that he is writing to a group of people that he is arguing with. And one of the things, we don't have the whole picture of what Paul is having a problem with the Corinthian church for, but one of them is in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there has been this group of people who have shown up in the Corinthian church. And Paul calls them super apostles. And I put that in quotes because that's 
Paul's phrase for them. They didn't own the idea of being super apostles, but that's kind of what Paul says about them. This idea that these people who have shown up after him, right? he's hit the road, he's left leadership at that church, there's this other group that have come in, and they're not teaching the same things Paul's, Paul taught. That's why Corinth probably wrote him in between those two letters, right? They probably wrote him and said, what do you think? And in what he says is, so these people who claim this other message that is not like mine, they're pretty sure, these super apostles, that they speak better in public. They think because they have better pu public speaking skills that they're better than me. They also think that they have this more direct line to God than I do, right? They're claiming that they can do miracles or they have some sort of connection to the supernatural in ways Paul different, didn't do. So that was their, they go to Corinth and these super apostles are like, we are better than Paul. If you're debating whether or not you should agree with Paul or agree with us, agree with us because we are obviously so much more gifted by God. This is what Paul is responding to in part in 2 Corinthians. And you know what his answer is to them? His answer is, okay. He doesn't agree with them theologically. He'll argue with them any day of the week. But the whole point of the line, I am made strong in my weakness, is that Paul's going, I'm not going to play their game. I am not interested in grabbing authority with you, the Corinthian church, by becoming better than who I am. The way Paul puts it, and this is, this is so interesting because he does not get specific. There's a sense of privacy to him about this. But what he says to them is, you know, there's this at least one thing about me that I have prayed to God over and over and over again that God would take away from me that I wouldn't have to be this, that I could be different. And God has never taken it away from me. In my weakness, I am made strong. It is because of this thing that God has said, no, Paul, I'm not going to let you off the hook with this part of yourself. It's in being that, Paul says, that I become who I'm supposed to be in God's eyes. The other part of the bright golden light in this passage is the part where, where Paul says, I have heard God speak this to me. God has spoken to me these words. My grace is sufficient for you. It's not a message of, Paul, I love you, but you need to change. No, it's, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. The way that you see yourself, the categories that you're living by, where you say that there is something wrong with you, is exactly the place that I, God, say that there is grace and that I will use those things for my glory. Your weakness is how I will show the world. The thing you call weakness is the thing I will use to show the world. So Paul's answer to the super apostles is, I'm not playing your game. Being a Christian means that it's only for the weak. Those who actually embrace the things that other people, super apostles, would beat their chest and say, I'm better than that. 
a true Christian message of the gospel says, I don't have to be better than who I am or who God made me to be. So I'm not going to play their game. My weakness is how I become strong. This isn't about trying to get away from the weakness, trying to be better than it. It's embracing it. You know what I've been up to during the pandemic? So uh, I mentioned I, I started a garden. Also, my plans to go back to Iowa to see my parents and to go to our denominational's general synod thing, once annual thing, that all got canceled, right? All got canceled. So I decided that, you know, I've been taking classes or I took one class and I wasn't going to take another one at the beginning of the summer because I had all those plans. And then I said, well, if they're canceled, I might as well take a class. So guess what I did? I signed up for Human Anatomy and Physiology 1. A semester's worth of Human Anatomy and Physiology at a college level in six weeks. This was a bad idea. <laughs> I am four weeks in and I can promise you I am eat, sleep, and breathing Human Anatomy and Physiology. There is a million words to learn. And here's the other thing that if you're going to get this stuff in your head, what you also learn is there are a bunch of categories, right? It's not just the words you learn, but understanding that scientists in the scientific community have sort of looked at certain things within your body and said, okay, let's, let's start with one big word. Like, here's an example, tissues, right? You have different body tissues. Tissues. All right, then under tissues, we're going to look at those tissues and say, okay, there's four categories of tissues. And of those four categories of tissue, this one called epithelial tissue, it's going to be described by how many layers it has and how many, uh, how many layers it has, what size it is, and we're going to give it all these different words. So part of learning all those words is also learning the categories of how they got those names. Does that make sense, kind of? Lord in your mercy, four weeks in. It is an insane amount of stuff that I've had to learn but it gave me a really good idea to try and help you understand what Paul is saying. Uh, in my weakness, I am strong. So here's what happens. I take these quizzes for the human anatomy and physiology, and they're all online. So imagine, again, you have all these words, all these different descriptions. What they do is they'll give you a box, right? Here's the box for epithelial tissue, and here's the box for connective tissue, and here's the box for cartilage or something like that, right? And then they have a whole list of words on the side, and you have to drag and drop them to get the points on the computer. Do you understand the differences between these kinds of tissue? Hold on, I'm getting somewhere with this. I want you to imagine you're going to do it. But instead of actual physical stuff, it's this. You could say weakness or strength. But really what all those Pinterest things are doing is that they're saying there's these basic categories, the good about you and the bad. Take every word that you can imagine in your minds. In fact, take things like uh, New Testament's idea about spiritual gifts, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, full of faith, self-controlled and gentle, right? Those are the fruits of the spirit. Make a list on the side of it and say, would they actually go in my good category? Am I those things? Or they're antithesis. And there's always antithesis to these things, but words like 
mad, angry, impatient, demanding. Right? If you were watching the online version of this, I said, hit the pause button and actually try it. Draw your squares, do good and bad, and fill yourself in. Then you come back from the break after you do that. Can you imagine you've done that? Take a second. Add a few words to each box for yourself. And then understand this about human anatomy and physiology. All those categories I've been given to learn about, they're made up. The body is what it is. This is the attempt, good-natured attempt as it is, to be able to communicate to each other what is true, what is real. But we came up with those words, and we came up with those categories, and their science is always challenging the categories and saying, what do we not understand yet? So, good and bad, weak and strong. I want you to understand what, when Paul says, I am made, or I am weak, and that is how I become strong, I want you to understand that he is challenging your categories. The super apostles, the Corinthian church, his own, and what it looks like is this. This is the Christian categories. Cross off good. Cross off bad. At the very least, put the word you at the top because you are both, all you are all of those things. Put beloved in front of that you because that's what God sees. Those are God's categories. You are beloved. And then those lines between the boxes, scratch them out. You are fully you. And both what you would describe as your good and what you would describe as your bad. You are still fully you and what you would call your weakness and what you would call your strength. And God says, start looking at the categories the way I look at them, not the ones you created. We are all, in God's eyes, a glorious mess. Created in the image of God, sinful, yes. We can leave it at that kind of good and bad, but God says, I will redeem it all. My grace is sufficient for it, and I'm going to use all of it to my glory. In my weakness, I gain my strength. So, with that idea, what is it that we're trying to live into with this now box of you? And I, I just made a list, three invitations. God inviting us into a different way of thinking about ourselves, our lives, and everyone else's life in our world, okay? Invitation number one is the invitation to honesty. All the words that you might be afraid to put in the boxes including the bad ones, guess what? They are there. They are you. And you don't have to be afraid of them. We wipe out the line because God will use them. There's an invitation to be honest here. There's also an invitation in that honesty then. If you do this, if you're honest, there's also then an invitation to be vulnerable. Like I said, our categories are things that we just create to try and communicate what is. But here's a thing that is. 
I don't even have to like read you something from the Bible or anyone else to prove this. People who are willing to be vulnerable in their lives get to have relationships. People who are not vulnerable in their lives do not. You think that's true? I think it's just an observable fact about human nature. The more you're willing to show people who you really are, both what you call the good and the bad, but is you, the more you get known. The more you get known, the more you get to have a real relationship with somebody. That invitation to honesty is also an invitation to vulnerability. Because remember that God says, I knew you, I was there when you were being created in your mother's womb. I know you from the inside out. The invitation to that kind of vulnerability is not just with God, it's also with each other. I think it's really interesting that Paul decided to be vulnerable with the Corinthian church even in the midst of conflict. He said to them, you know what, there's this thing about me that I've been trying to pray away for a long time. He doesn't tell them what it is. I'm not saying there's like this ridiculous level of vulnerability where you just throw everything you've ever thought about yourself out into the world. But even in conflict, even with that community, even when he's kind of fighting with them, he goes, the invitation for me is to tell you something honest and to be vulnerable enough to share it with you. Another one of the vulnerabilities, though, or excuse me, one of the invitations, the last one I'll mention, though, and this is going to be the hard one to get, you might not see the connection, is the invitation to be poor. Invitation to be honest, invitation to be vulnerable, but also the invitation then to be poor. Because here's another thing you're going to find in life. If you decide to be honest and vulnerable, you decide to go down that path in your life, to be that person, you know what path you're not going to get to go on? Probably the one that looks like power, money, influence, and success. That's still, by the way, definitions that come from people being good or bad. They're good enough to get there. How many of you ever heard of the philosopher Nietzsche? You heard of Nietzsche? He doesn't always have the greatest represent, uh, reputation among Christians because he's the guy who said God is dead. Not that it's always fair that we think we know what he said, but here's another quote of him, his. How typical of Christians. They are weak. They cannot be anything but weak. So they make a virtue of the necessity, constructing a moral system that glorifies weakness in order to exert their will to power over the truly strong and virtuous. So what Nietzsche is saying is, these Christians, they've been listening to Paul these years about how their weakness is their strength. And because they're actually not capable of pursuing riches, and because they're not capable of pursuing power, because they're really not good at that stuff, because they're bad. They pretend that their bad stuff, their weakness stuff, is good. And then they exert their power and control, which they can't get on their own, but they exert their power and control of the world by just agreeing together to hold everyone to that standard of being weak. I don't know if that exactly makes sense what Nietzsche is saying, 
But I understand that in some ways he's right. When you're invited to vulnerability, you're invited into the world that Jesus talked about. The one where he said, spend time with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the outcasts. They are the vulnerable of your world. You're supposed to go and be with them, literally be with them and be them. Wherever, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me, he said. And God's been like this the whole time. Take care of the widows, the orphans, and the strangers. Who? The vulnerable. Recognize your own vulnerability and take care of them. There's this kind of just observable thing about life. If you decide to go down an authentic Christian path, not the one Nietzsche's talking about, but an authentic one, where you decide to give away the categories of what will make you successful or rich or powerful, and instead you go down the path the way God wants, you accept the invitation God offers, which is to honesty and vulnerability, someone else is going to fill in the other gap. They're going to grab the power. They're going to grab the money. They're going to leave you behind. It's one or the other. So there's an invitation to be honest. There's an invitation to be vulnerable. There's also an invitation to let go your power or riches or wealth or influence. And if you don't want Nietzsche to be right, then you also don't get to exert the majority vote as Christians believing that on everyone else. You let it go. And you keep pursuing those invitations the way God actually laid them out. I don't know if any of this kind of highbrow philosophical stuff is making sense to you this morning. So in closing, let me give you one more human anatomy and physiology lesson, okay? Again, eat, sleep, and breathe in this stuff, so hopefully it's not too boring, but hopefully if you want to understand God's categories, the ones Paul is talking about, and not the ones that we sort of are driven by, like good and bad, push the good and bad away and think about this instead, okay? If you want to grow a muscle, how do you grow a muscle? Some of you know this. What, what do you see people who want big muscles doing? They lift weights, right? Right. So here's how you grow muscle. The reason that works is uh, the tissues of muscle, then they get stressed or even damaged. It's when they repair themselves that they get stronger and better for the next time they have to deal with stress. That's why you lift weights. You put them under stress, and when the healing comes, they get bigger. Okay? A couple other things about muscles, though. One... If you want any tissue in your body to heal quickly, you know what it needs at the top of the list? Blood. Blood is the way that you get things to heal quickly. So, for example, if you've ever had a, a back problem, like a herniated disc, you know, disc between your vertebrae, that's a fibrocartilage. Thank you very much. And fibrocartilage is, does not have a lot of blood going to it. You know why? Because those discs have to take a lot of compression, so you can't put blood vessels inside them. But you know what happens to discs in your back because they don't get a lot of blood coming inside them? They heal really slowly. So if you've ever 
slipped a disc, you know how long it takes to get better. By comparison, the stomach lining of your stomach, right, the tissue that is inside your stomach, did you realize that it grows really fast? It gets a lot of blood to it. And it has to grow really fast because if you think about it, what's in there all the time? Yeah. Acid, yes. Eating away at those cells. So there has to be a lot of blood in there to regrow the cells. Making sense, right? All right, hold on. I'm getting there. It's gonna make, it's gonna come together. Think of the fruits of the spirit like muscles you want to grow in your body. Loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind and good and full of faith. And think about all those other words like mad or angry or demanding or impatient and realize those are also muscles in your body. Sometimes you need them. Sometimes you need anger, demand. It all comes down to what the, the tissue has to do. Is it a tissue that has to be in an environment where there's acid around all the time that it needs to grow really fast? Or is it a, a tissue that's got to be there to just take the pressure of the world and then it'll grow back slowly. But they're all just muscles. And they all have their place inside you, inside you, inside your body. The choice is yours. What kind of tissue do you want to regrow? Knowing that sometimes the most important ones for you to actually get through this life are words like loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, full, and faith. You need them. They don't heal quickly. Words like anger and madness, demand, impatience, they do grow quick, quickly. They've got a lot of blood supply going to them. But you need them. You need them because those are the emotions, those are the feelings, those are the thoughts that, you know what, if some big dangerous thing is coming at you, those are the things that make you jump up and run either into the fight or away from the fight, right? Anger gets you up and gets you moving. It's like your hip muscle, a big, strong muscle that can get you out of danger. One more thing about muscles, though. When you get bigger muscles, you don't get more nerve endings, meaning the bigger muscle you get, the more one nerve ending has to do all the work of sensing the environment and responding to it. The example of this, again, would be the hip, hip muscle, big hip muscle right here. And the bigger and stronger it gets, the more you can respond to dangerous situations. But it doesn't have enough nerves that it can do a lot of really dexterous things, right? You wouldn't ask your hip muscle to do this with your fingers. Little muscles in your fingers with all the nerves that it has. This is the stuff you do your typing with and you hold a baby with. And you care through the world in gentleness with. The choice is yours. Just know sometimes the list that you thought was bad, they're not bad. But those very things, they can grow really fast. They can get really big, and you'll have less and less control over them. You need them. 
Well, what's going to be the next thing you practice in the world to build your muscles? They're all you. I do want us to give away the categories of bad and good when we read passages like this, because Paul very clearly says to anybody who's listening, be honest, be vulnerable. There's a whole list of stuff in you, I bet, that you've tried to pray away. And God has said no. You've got to realize those are the very things, those are the very muscles that will make you strong. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you this morning for your word. Let us rest a while with these thoughts. And may you help us once again find answers to everything we are inside us that you call beloved, that you say is covered by your grace, and help instill within us the desire to grow the muscles of the things that help us live the life you want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.